It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. Thank you for being here, whether you are listening live or maybe you're catching a replay on a podcast that we do. But uh, really excited to have you here, excited to be talking to fantastic guests. Uh, one is new to the show and one is a, a frequent flyer returner of one of our favorites. So we will uh, get to who those are in just a moment. But, you know, th- this this show is really about the stories. It's really about um, <clears throat> getting sort of, the I guess, the best information, the best advice that we can from some of the people that are out there killing it, that are, are whether they're speaking, whether they're writing, whether they're just leading an organization, and they have wisdom that we can use to go back and make our workplaces a, a better place, right? To have a better impact on our people. And we have had so many great stories. I put a lot of those in my first book, uh, the best-selling book, The Power of Company Culture. Uh, I'd love to have you check that out. And uh, you know, we continue to to sort of collect more and more stories um, and and so many great bits of wisdom, whether we are in the midst of a pandemic or it's just a regular Tuesday, there are things that you can go back and use uh, with your employees uh, to make yourself more talented, whatever it may be. You know, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, but I know that most of you catch us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, maybe iHeart or, or Spotify. And a big thank you to everyone who's tuning in regularly and and you're averaging some 10,000 downloads a day. And we really appreciate everyone, the millions of downloads a year for all the different shows that we have with our guests. It's really been awesome. So one of the ways that we love to kind of keep the conversation going is we utilize Twitter. So we like to, my social media maven, Sarah, likes to put in some of the best one-liners, the best quotes, maybe links to books and and to to our guests' uh, uh, social uh, platforms. And so if you want to interact with us there, you want to ask a question, you want to know more about our guests, that's the best place to do it. So go to Twitter, find at PeopleG2 or follow that hashtag Talent Talk and you'll find everything you need. Now, I've been uh, teasing you with who our guests are today. So my first guest will be uh, Josh Levine, CEO of Rebel Industries. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Dr. Dina Brown. Uh, she's the uh, founder of the Leadership Movement, and uh, like I said, she's a, a, a returning guest here, but we'll get to her after the commercial break. But let's go ahead and bring in Josh. Josh, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What's important for us to know about you? What's the work that you're doing and and, and, and more about your company? Cool. Yeah, well, I have, I have sort of two jobs these days. Uh, first, I'm the host of the Rebel Radio podcast which I've been doing now for just over five years. And so every week I interview artists and entrepreneurs, uh, people who are shaping culture. 
So it's a lot of DJs, musicians, graffiti artists, streetwear designers, people like that. And we talk to them about how they're building their brands and their careers. And, you know, some people wow. have created lifelong careers out of making art. And uh, we learn lessons in, in how to do that. And then I guess my day job, as you mentioned, I have an agency called Rebel Industries, which um, helps brands make investments into culture. So brands that want to partner in uh, with, with musicians, with uh, visual artists, we put together talent partnerships, we do event activations, uh, festival sponsorships when they when we used to have a thing called festivals, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, content, any type of collaborations between, you know, corporate brands and, and the world of art and music and culture. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, it can be such a, a difficult thing to do to get, uh, you know, I guess enough, a light on, onto what a lot of artists are doing, uh, and to certainly help and, 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 and curate that in the right way. What, what got you, into that movement how did you end up focusing so much uh you know with artists so i came out of the music industry i started my career as first a music journalist and then i started a management company i was managing musicians for a while when when i figured out that wasn't for me and i was sort of figuring out you know how do i take the skill set that i've built and the things that i really enjoy doing and maybe apply them in a different setting and, you know, I learned what, what I loved was, was the brand building. You know, I loved wording, working with creative people to bring their, their passion to life and build, build a career and, and income around that, right? So it was really a thinking about how do I do that just in a different setting? And so I was able to, you know, bring that knowledge. Obviously, you know, the, the entertainment business is this sort of mythical world for people outside of it who don't understand how artists think or or the different priorities. And, you know, what we found in business is that, um, uh, you know, brands need talent around them, whether it's influencers or entertainers, or, you know, there's a need to use the channels of art and culture to tap into to consumer, to people's passions, right? And, and get their attention that people aren't just sitting there watching TV commercials anymore, the way that they did when we were growing up. So, so these have become more important. And then on the flip side, uh, entertainers, talent, they, they need brand support, right? They need um, the, the income opportunities that brings. They need the promotional support. It's, it's harder and harder to break through anymore as an artist in, with whatever uh, your medium is. And so aligning with the right partners has become more important. So I like to say that I'm, uh, I've become bilingual and a lot of my work is translating it's translating the needs of the creatives into what that means for a brand and it's translating brand objectives into how how they can interact with uh with creative people so you know i have a, a little bit of a background in, in working for hollywood in hollywood for a little bit uh and then mm -hmm. certainly some uh experience you know in music and and being an artist myself so uh, the, this question comes with a little bit of understanding. Uh, sure. you know, I think we often uh, uh, kind of talk about in this show how maybe CEOs think differently or how HR people think differently. And so I think it's really interesting that you've brought up this idea of artists thinking differently. And I would love to get your perspective on, you know, what does that look like to you uh, as compared to, you know, the average person walking down the street is maybe maybe working in a cubicle farm today. How, how is their thinking different than for maybe the artist thinking uh, that you were describing? Yeah, I mean, look, it, being an artist is, is complex, right? I mean, first of all, you're, there's a certain amount of uh, insecurity that comes with releasing 
what's come out of your heart and soul and your brain into the world and for for people to love and hate and criticize and you know judge and all of that right so you know that takes a certain kind of person and it can take a toll um as we've seen and at the same time like i said these you know to me what's so interesting about um artists and and in you know i i view them as entrepreneurs right because these are people that are building brands and businesses but you know they're in this really unique situation where where they're you get famous as an artist or you become successful because of your talent in the art of that you've chosen your painting or your music whatever and then your success long term is really based on how well you can run your business and manage your brand and it's all the things that have much less to do with the art that you create and much more to do with these business skills that frankly almost nobody was trained for and almost right. nobody wants to be doing right you don't you don't get into no one no one thinks of being an artist as a path to entrepreneurship but that's exactly what it is and so uh that's why I I do the work that I do and why I started the podcast is to to kind of dive into those conversations and see how people navigate that it's very different you you know your point about the mind of the CEO it's very different than somebody who sets out to work their way up the corporate ladder and goes to business school and you know and and has set that out for themselves so you know any any successful musician right they're they're running a company they're managing a team they're building a brand and they're having to learn all of that while they're on tour while they're dealing with press and fans and in the studio and all that stuff so yeah it's, it's really interesting so you know to your question how you um you know how you understand those people's needs right so they have they have the need of connecting with fans and, and meeting their fans needs and expectations so they have to think about how their values and and how their persona aligns with whatever brand they might be partnering with right and you know artists have concerns about you know climate impact about uh uh social justice about all these different things right that they need to make sure that their partners are aligned on and then they also have to you know find the balance between because it is they are allowing a company to kind of exploit them right in uh in the not necessarily the negative sense right but they're they're exploiting their image their likeness their name to sell more cars or soda or you know liquor whatever it is right and so they have to find uh, a way to feel good about that right and, and it's it's never um it's never just the money. The money's important, of course. We all need money. Um but whenever it's only the money and and nothing else, then it it doesn't last. So you know, I, I've often thought about this sort of there's some correlations there with CEOs uh, or just you know, business leaders in general and 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 artists and at least the successful ones. I mean, I think to your point, being able to manage lots of different things, I certainly see a lot the most successful people are continually learning and, and evolving and you know, influenced by new things are not sort of staying stagnant. I mean, okay. as an artist, if you're, you're learning new things and whether it's music theory or just being influenced by what's going on, you know, and for, for leaders, I think they can, they can take their bag essentially and, and go to another company. And there's, there, there's so many options for them to, you know, if, if one particular situation is working out, they can, they can go to something else fairly easily. And what, what I, an area I see artists struggling, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, 
is, you know, they can kind of be known for something, right? An actor can be known for a part, a, a, you know, a musician can be known for a song, a, an artist can be known for painting. And people fall in love with that in such a different way than maybe their interaction with a, a particular leader to the point that they only want that artist to continue to basically create other other variations of the exact same thing and aren't really willing to go with that artist on that on that journey of change and progression and you know um and some bands for example are able to somehow do this to progress and and keep their fan base and, and others seem to really struggle right they they can't make that that evolution without completely burning you know, burning bridges how do you see that playing out and in, in, in for, for most of these artists I mean, that is the big question, right? And, and you know, I always say it's, it's, it's pretty much magic that you can make one hit, right? But for the artists who were able to do it over and over and, and you know, over number of years, I mean, that's, a, uh, you know, that's almost a statistical impossibility. And so you're right. There are very few that are able to do it. I think I worked for a couple years with Linkin Park, and one of the things uh, Chester, who was the lead singer, said to me was, you know, if, if we just gave the fans what they want, we'd be playing our first album over and over again. Yeah. Right? And so they had to, they made a conscious decision that when we go in the studio, we're making music for us, and then we'll put it out to the world, and people will love it, or they won't, or, you know. And and um, and so I think that takes an an incredible amount of fortitude, which, you know, we know as a leader, you know, having that, that backbone is so important that you're willing to, and, you know, with music and art, like people take it personally, right? People are offended or their, uh, you know, their, their feelings are hurt when their favorite artist moves on from whatever it is. And, you know, we see it in the visual arts too, right? You know, you look at a, at a Picasso who went through these different phases. Well, you know, when that plays out in real time, right, the collectors who bought the old style are now upset that the artist has changed his style and, you know, it, it almost implying there's something wrong with what they were doing before. Right? So, we, you know, when it comes to art and music and all that, we have these very personal emotional attachments to it, which is, uh, which is amazing and, and unique. And so, you know, I do think the artists are, that have long careers have really strong internal compasses um, and they really balance the skill of listening and paying attention to what fans want and expect and making sure they deliver enough of that, uh, but at the same time as listening to their, you know, their internal voice that, that uh, tells them where they're going. So as you're working with, you know, these people, do, do you feel like, you know, you've always sort of understood it, and you've been and good at sort of uh, being a leader to, to, to these types of, of artists and people. Uh, or is this something that maybe you kind of felt like you grasped over time, right? Did Was it kind of a touch and go in the beginning, and you had to kind of find your groove? Where, where do you kind of feel like you, you, you were as you, I guess, have, have evolved as a leader in this space? I... Uh, was a terrible leader starting out, um, both internally with my own company as well as you know my my work with clients. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I would have said it this way at, at at the time, but I definitely thought my job was to be liked and be everyone's friend and and you know uh, kind of tell people what they want to hear. And uh, I, you know, I had to learn that the hard way. Um, right that, uh, you know, transparency and radical candor and, 
you know, straight talk with people is absolutely the way to go. You know, now I say when I, you know, when I work with clients, I say, you know, I'm sitting here in the passenger seat with you and I may see you heading for a brick wall. I feel it's my duty to tell you that there's a brick wall in front of you now. You know, you're the client. If you want to hit the gas and slam into the brick wall, that's your choice, right? But I'm not doing my job if I, if I don't at least alert you to the fact that I think you're about to make a mistake. And so, um, so I've, I've taken that really seriously. I've taken it to, first of all, who I surround myself with, whether it's people I'm hiring you know, on my team or whether it's artists or partners that I'm working with. I think um, that is the number one challenge, I think, for every leader is to surround yourself with the right people and uh, balance both what, what the business needs but but you know, maybe even more important, what what the what you need personally, and what what each person needs to be surrounded with. So I, 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 you know, I love that you're know, sort of encapsulating here something that's come up a lot on this show, which is is you know transparency, right? Like having yeah. being able to, to to share the information, share what we know in our heads, so that our our people are better informed and they can make better decisions. It's you know, it's really hard for them to make good decisions if they don't know what you know. Um, yeah. and I, you know, leaders can complain all day that, you know, why can't I find good people? It's often because these good people are not been informed. They've not been given the tools and the information they need to come up with better solutions. Um, and, and, and so you, you take that concept and then the, the second one you kind of mentioned was being able to just talk to people in a very candid way. I mean, radical candor is a mm-hmm. great book. If anyone's ever read it by Kim Scott, if you don't know yep. how to have radical candor, go read her book, and, you know, and that's another thing. So sharing the information, but then being able to not BS people and to really have a real conversation with them. Is there anything else you think that's super important that a leader needs to do if they want to be successful? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to be a listener first. And, you know, and again, I find that internally with my company, I find it, you know, in, in every aspect of my life that, you know, listening gives you insight into where people's heads are at. It also get, makes people feel heard, right? Which mm-hmm. kind of and, and, you know, makes, uh, you know, put, puts everybody on the same page. And I think, you know, as leaders we are trained to think you know that we have all the answers and that we're supposed to be decisive and you know you hear people talk about this leadership quality or this gravitas um which i think is all bs right i think it's it's um you know that's shorthand for you know act like you know what you're doing even if you don't and you know make a decision even when it's the wrong one and um and so I, you know, I think listening to your people is, is, uh, is a huge key for not only re- your relationships, but also for understanding your business and troubles that are maybe headed your way. Um, and so, you know, I have a, when I, when I bring people into my company, right, I always approach them that, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to create opportunities for them to be entrepreneurs within my company. And that if they're looking for a, quote-unquote job where they have to show up at a certain time and have someone look over their shoulder and tell them what to do, then they should go do that somewhere else. Um, that, you know, I, I want to work with people who are so determined to succeed uh, that they're not going to wait around for me to hand that to them, but that they're going to figure out and I get to be part of it. And frankly, you right. know, I count that as 
as a blessing that um, talented people would allow me to play some role in their success. So I think that's, you know, a pretty good formula for most companies that, you know, want people to come in and be self-motivated to sort of be their own entrepreneur to, you know, I, I don't think most people really want to sit around and have to manage people all day. There are environments where that maybe is, is the process, but I think for most successful companies, successful CEOs, they, they want people to come in and, and be telling them what to do, right. To be, to be mm-hmm. so involved and to be so a part of that success that, you know, I, I, if I feel like I'm trying to keep up with my employees and I'm doing a good job, I, I, brought, I brought in the right sure. people. If they're if they're trying to pull me instead of me trying to push them. Um, but how can how do people maybe improve their hiring process to try to make sure they're getting those types of people? Um, you know, there's certain things that you do that you look for to kind of help you navigate that as you're going to bring someone on board. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it's the... Um, you know, I kind of, the philosophy is hire hard, manage light, right? And so it's making it maybe harder for people to get door. I think, you know, something I stopped doing some years ago, I stopped looking at resumes. And, uh, you know, usually at some point in the process, somebody has looked at a resume to make sure we're kind of talking to the right person. But that's a very small step in the process that we've we've tried to make both much more experiential, meaning seeing the quality of people's work, you know, in a way that's relevant to, to the work that we need them to do. And then also digging much deeper into whether this, whether somebody fits our culture and whether we're, we're going to want to be around them. You know, I think the, the most important investment you make as a leader, business owner is, is the time that you spend with your people. Right. And, uh, and if, if those people, if you've got the right people, and they're there for the right reasons, then they want to learn from you and that you have to want to spend time teaching them, right, and, and have this two-way, you know, this reciprocal relationship. And if you don't, let's say you all have to be best friends. Uh, actually, I think that's a trap as well. But, but I think you have to really believe in people and want to invest in their success in with your time. And if, if you're in a room full of people that you don't, sort of jive with, then that just isn't going to work either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we, we've mentioned a couple books already, but I'm wondering if there's a book you're reading right now or one that uh, you typically suggest people check out. Um, you know, I love Fierce Conversations, Susan Scott and, and Fierce Leadership. I think, um, you know, she's got two great books that, you know, rely a, a lot on candor, a lot on, um, you know, I think she has a thing. I forget how she words it, but it's, but it's about. She dispels the idea of holding people accountable. That it's about hold yourself accountable, right? And 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 model that for people and teach other people to hold themselves accountable, rather than, you know, again, this idea that you're chasing people around with the clipboard. You know, if they've done what they're supposed to do. There's also I have this thing. Uh, I don't know if this is from a book, but. Uh, I kind of call it the money value of time, which is this idea that, you know, every hour you spend doing something has a certain monetary value to your business. And if you want to be more successful, make more money, you need to do more of the high value things, which means someone else needs to do more of the low value things. And, you know, I can't tell you, uh, you know, I agree with you. Everyone wants amazing people around them, but they are often afraid to let go. 
right? And I, you know, I have often heard from leaders that, well, it's easier, you know, I, I know how to do this. I can do it in my sleep. It's easier if I just do it rather than teaching someone who doesn't know. And the problem is you're always stuck doing that, right? And so I show people that, you know, if you have financial goals beyond where you're at today, you're never going to get there if you're doing the low-value work. So right. you've got to give that up to somebody for whom it's a step up. And that, that, that process allows you to then reach for the next rung and take on bigger responsibilities. But you can never do that. You know, our time is fixed. So until we get things off the plate, we, can't, we just can't grow. Well, um, speaking of fixed you know, time, we are we are actually out of time here, and I want to really uh, uh, say thank you, Josh, for for being a part of the show today. Uh, one last quick question: uh, How can people find out more about Rebel Industries or your podcast? What's the best way for them to check you out and, and find out more? Yeah, cool. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere uh, as Jay Levine on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Rebel Radio is. Rebel Radio Net on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, definitely always open for questions or interesting conversations. Fantastic. Well, Josh, thank you again for being a part of the show today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. We're going to take a a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with our second guest, Dr. Dina Brown. Thanks for having me. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed our uh, first interview with uh, Josh Levine, you can catch it on the podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can go to talenttalkradio.com and subscribe uh, either one of those places or wherever you find your podcast. Just make sure you subscribe to Talent Talk, and as soon as that episode is ready, it will magically appear on your device. Um, uh, so we can make sure you uh, hear every episode and are alerted to all the great uh, guests that we have all year long. Leadership movement, that's sort of a tongue twister. Um, we'll have to talk to her about that. Uh, and don't forget right now to go to at people G2. You can interact with us uh, and follow the hashtag talent talk, ask a question, make a suggestion, argue with us, whatever you want to do. We're there. So uh, anyways, Dina, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be back. I love your show. And this is the first time we've done it virtually. We're both uh, not in the studio. You, usually the two of us get together in the studio and talk, probably talk too much and laugh too much. So uh, hopefully we can <laughs> recreate the magic here virtually. Yeah, <laughs> you, you were breaking up there a little bit. Um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, in case they didn't catch you, you know, one of the previous times you've been on the show. What's important for everyone to know about you? Well, the most important aspect to know about me is that I help executives create leadership plans. 
And with leadership is what we really need right now in a world where we're experiencing such validity, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And one of my superpowers is that I actually help leaders implement effective strategies that cover business process improvements, strategy and innovation insights, performance solutions for teams, culture change, and different types of interventions that are needed in this agile, digitally driven world. So, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is is really a shift, socially a shift, politically a shift, maybe shift in what is important for companies to think about, uh, and certainly a shift here with uh, with COVID. So if we start with with the, the sort of maybe post-COVID uh, idea, you know, and, and, and around leadership, how, how can leaders maybe equip themselves and their workforces and to sort of better manage, uh, I guess, their people, their companies, now that things are still, you know, slightly uncertain, we have maybe a mixed, you know, process of who's working from home, who's coming into the office, you know, what are you sort of seeing that leaders need to be thinking about right now? Leaders need to be thinking about their people first, right now, and think about the aspect of the psychological safety of their people in regards to what's happening. Like I mentioned that right now we're experiencing VUCA, which of course is validity, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And in that, that not only are we looking at a health pandemic, but we're looking at a mental health pandemic. So the fact that people do get to work from home may be great for some, but also it can be very stressful for them. And so how they're able to show up and actually add value to the overall organization is can be a challenge. And so looking at the mental health and wellness, and that also, again, like I said, takes leadership and it takes vision. So how do you begin to deal with such a complex environment that we really don't know is that's what's vision. And vision for the organization may have to be redefined. If you've been operating out of old practices without really taking a complete audit of your organization, your business practices, um, how you actually work. Because again, many people said, oh, you actually cannot work from home. It's impossible. Well, it's not. (laughs) 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 And you built your whole mission, vision, and values and your corporate handbook on not working from home per se. I'm being a little extreme for a reason, but yet you had a crisis that made it mandatory for you to make a shift to see how and develop the practices on how to do that. And so now that you have people saying, wow, you told me that we could and now we are doing it. And now what's next for me? Is it another 30 days or 60 days or 90 days? And how does that line up to our overall mission, vision and values of the organization? Uh, the organization? And where do I fit? Because people are trying to figure out where they fit right now. And because they're trying to figure out where they fit right now, it's for leaders to now take the stage. This is not an opportunity for leaders to sit there and say, okay, what should we do? This is really an opportunity for leaders truly to lead. And maybe their first leadership piece might be saying, I don't have all the answers right now, but really here's what I believe we should do based on these particular data points and based upon on what I know about our organization, what I know about um, our culture, what I know about our team. And so here are some decisions that I'm going to make as a leader because people right now, they need something concrete because everything else is too fluid yeah. and the leader is going to have to take that role. 
And, you know, we always kind of run up against this. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone and, and I'm speaking to some large group uh, of people and they'll, and they'll raise their hand and say, OK, I love it. I want to do it, but I can't get my boss. You know, I can't get the CEO to change. You know, they don't they don't want to try this thing. And often it's if I, I can get them to maybe do a small change and then they can sort of show that this actually works. Right. That they do this small thing. Look at the result we got out of this. If we actually did some big things, can you imagine what we would do? And to your point, I've for years been telling people how much better it has been for us to be remote. And we, my company is 100% remote. And people told me, well, you can't collaborate as well. It won't work as well. It did, And then they suddenly had to go remote. And even though everyone was home and their kids were home, which is not normally our experience, right? They, they sort of went home and did it in a very intense way. They still came back and told me, I had, I've had 10 CEOs call me and say, I wish I would have listened to you before. I never believed that we could have collaborated. We actually are doing better. You know, we're actually getting more done and communicating better and having and we didn't realize, even though you told us, we didn't realize how much that time to think, that deep time to just not be interrupted would have on our company. So it's really interesting that we're asking leaders, you're sort of saying, hey, leaders, go, you need to, 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 to do this stuff. But there is something there about them not wanting to try or do things that they don't they haven't experienced themselves. So do you have any ideas? Do you have any any thoughts on how we can get people to kind of push them outside of their comfort zone, especially if they're in a leadership position? Well, there's a sense of urgency <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> happening. And one of the things that leaders also are up against is that they're also experiencing uncertainty as to their role and their importance. And I love to share, don't let your ego get in the way of your excellence (laughs) in doing that. And learning to truly empower their team and their people to take actions. And so what they do is actually get to lead instead of micromanage. And if they step out of what I would say um, the leadership master role and truly be the leader to allow others to take action that they have really thought about based, of course, upon data. I'm a data-driven decision um, maker, and so and there's different types of data, as we know. And so for leaders to do that, which is very new for them, is that they just have to take the risk. But sometimes the best opportunity for them to take the risk is to step and make a shift to the side and actually look and see who's the best leader internally to actually execute this. Right. And so being right. able to hand that over and um, John Maxwell shares with us in our mentorship that um, there's the 10, 80, 10 rule. And I think I've shared this before. And the 10 is I work with you in the very beginning, that 10 percent. I'm kind of giving, making sure that we align to our, our vision. There's clarity in what I what I would expect you to do. And then 80 percent of the time is allowing that um, new leader, the person that can lead that particular action best. And then that final 10 is kind of rolling back and saying, let's do the check-in and bring it all together. And for leaders, the the hardest thing that they could ever do is to get out of their own way. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We see that so, so often. So, so often. They just, yeah, they get in their own way, right? Or they become the bottleneck or they, they sort of create these systems that reinforce what they say they don't want or they hate, but 
it's uh, I've often said this on the show. It's like what you focus on grows, right? And so they're fo- so overly focused on 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 whatever uh, micromanaging, then micromanaging becomes you know the the biggest problem. So, you know, I it, it, th- this is I think it's good for people to think about. I, I know that it, there's been a shift even just in the last few weeks on on what companies and leaders are thinking about or sort of dealing with COVID and it's here, but we're also really thinking about everything that's happening with the Black Lives Movement, uh, with with social justice. And, and I'm, I'm wondering to, you know, sort of to get your thoughts on, you know, is there, is there, is there a first step? Is there something that, that companies should be thinking about right now, maybe to sort of shift from maybe having a corporate responsibility program to having more of a corporate social justice initiative or or, or something in, in place where they can uh, be more of an ally uh, to those in our communities? The very first thing is to listen and learn. But first, you have to learn to listen. What I've actually seen a lot of is that companies have a knee-jerk reaction to what's happening, and they're throwing ideas and money. They're just throwing things out there. And really, the integrity of what they're messaging and their actions, meaning their audio and their video doesn't match. And so mm-hmm. first, they have to pretty much kind of listen and go inside. And it's not necessarily just inside the company, but inside of themselves. And first, take a look at the guts of the organization. I'm talking about your policies, your procedures, your practices. And see where you can identify areas where there may be some blind spots. And once you've identified those particular areas, then you begin to construct a real plan of action. And the action is not simply saying, and I hate to, you know, call Starbucks to the the carpet, but what was a year or two ago when you, they were kicking out um, some black coffee goers, um, mm-hmm. well, actually, they weren't buying coffee. They kicked them out. They said, oh, we're going to shut down, and we're going to have one day of, you know, training, diversity and inclusive training, and that's going to cure this and move on. No, that does not. <laughs> and so right. looking at how they can look at the system and look systemically and look at really what their organization has been doing and who they want to be in the big game, in the big picture, and then begin to, again, to listen to the whispers before they have to deal with the screams. Because I guarantee you there's been noise there for a while. And so go in and do the hard work. And that's one of the first steps they're going to have to do is to, I advise all of my clients, before you act, think, <laughs> sit and reflect, get clear on what you're messaging in, because, because as a leader, your vision and your verbiage is going to drive a lot of the understanding and the comfortable um, or the actions of everyone else that works for you. And I share that because I had a, a colleague who said, you know, this is happening, the company made a blanket email statement, but yet black individuals and executives in the company didn't feel comfortable about sharing their perspective on what was going on. But yet the company's making notices, but yet the mm-hmm. reality and the truth was is that it wasn't embedded in the culture. Well, I love that you sort of really centered your, your answer around systems. And, you know, if we, if we, if we take this this 
the, I guess the fundamental question out for a moment. And we said, you know, what if we were just trying to make our leaders more effective? Or what if we were trying to get our employees to be more productive or all of that, right? We would go to systems. We would go to how is this design? Can we design it better? Can we listen to our people? Can we do all this? But suddenly when we're talking about diversity and inclusion and race and all this, I, I find the conversation overwhelmingly goes to this sort of individual uh, perspective, right? We're talking about people, and we need to get rid of these people and get more of those people. And we need, and and I find that to be really, really detrimental, and it ends up sort of they're just sort of treading water, or or they end up you know on a sinking ship. Uh, for me, everything is the system. If we create a better system, people know what the rules are. They know how they're supposed to act. They know what they're supposed to do. They know what the consequences are if they don't. And we can we can move forward and have a better can have a better company culture that way you can have better engagement that way you can have uh, more productivity that way and you can also have which is i think it's so important a more diverse workplace where you have people who think differently Uh, and for me that's always the goal right is how do i get people in my organization who think differently than i do that think differently than the rest of the people i already have here because i i want to stay relevant i want us to stay on top of where we're going. And I can't do that if I just keep hiring the same carbon copy of somebody I already have. Does that resonate with what where you're at? Absolutely. Or have, have I missed something? Absolutely. No, no, you're right there. Because what I would recommend, the very first thing you do is to do a SWOT analysis. And But here's the difference in a SWOT analysis of what's happening inside of your organization in relation to actually being about social justice and really embedding that and being and having it understood as part of your culture and that it begins to merge in with your climate because we know culture and climate are not the same and the climate change is like the weather, but the culture is what's actually embedded there. But when you do this SWOT analysis, you have to have some basic understandings that what we're talking about is emotional. <laughs> it is going to be difficult and you're gonna have to provide some grace but most importantly, grace for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because people are going to get triggered. So that's where, as I mentioned before, psychological safety comes into play. And that once people know that they can actually have an honest conversation with you and feel safe enough that they can be clear about what their needs are, then you actually can do a SWOT analysis because this is a systems issue. Systemic racism, institutionalized racism, is about the practices that we do that may have been embedded in our company, especially if it's 100, 200, even 10 years old. You know, we tend to have that. So we have to take a systems approach. But in the system, in this particular system where we usually say, leave out your emotion, you're actually going to want to invite it in. (laughs) But you're going to have to provide a structure and a support to help people process these emotions. Yeah. And I think maybe we're it, it's maybe we're afraid a little bit, right? Because we we want to process the emotions and we want to listen, we want to hear, but we also know that there's some people maybe in the organization who get, might take over that conversation or might uh, take it in a way that in a direction that we don't want it to go or it shouldn't go. And so we sort of I probably put our heads in the sand, right? We sort of just don't Maybe we don't talk about that. Maybe we don't deal with that. So how do, how do companies maybe get over that hurdle if they're worried about that? Do they need to bring somebody in to help them do that? Do they just need to 
buck up and be braver or, you know, what, what's the solution if they feel like they're a little bit stuck or they don't know exactly how to handle that conversation? All of the above. <laughs> <It's> that <laughs> depending on where you're at in that. And so like one of the things that I start the first Tuesday of the month is the racial literacy for leaders round table. And that allows leaders to come in a safe space to talk about pretty much what these challenges are and some opportunities for them to have these discussions amongst other leaders to help figure it out for themselves because they have to do the, the hard work for themselves. And here's one question that I ask each and every single leader. And I then say, then you could extrapolate that to the organization. Where is the lie in your leadership? And what are you willing to sacrifice to know the truth? So once you identify that personally, which can be hard, and then what you're willing to sacrifice, is it money? Is it the fact that you might need to bring in a facilitator? You might need to actually bring in some outside support because maybe they can see some things from a different perspective and a different lens. Is it your time to making the time to do the work? Is it your ego that you didn't have all the answers or that you might have to learn or you might have to share something about yourself um, and being able to do that? So depending on where you are on the journey as a leader, because, again, it's going – Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's going to come back to the leader. And so how they proceed ahead and what's happening is also going to trickle down to those that they are charged to lead. And when you show those examples and you even show that vulnerability and that transparency, it actually creates the space in the room for others to actually do the same. And one of the biggest things that is the most difficult thing is really calling out and acknowledging what you've been doing that is knowingly egregious, <laughs> knowingly egregious. And I say that because I've done some consulting. I've done some work with companies and helping them with their hiring practices and attracting talent. And when we took a look at their process and when I went in and said, where's the system? You know, how are you, how are you measuring this? How are you making sure that it's equitable? Where is your rating? You know, what are you using to assess, you know, your different candidates? And they go, there wasn't any. Well, I like that person or so on. And some of the methods they were using to select candidates we're not based on any sort of real metric. It was, well, yeah. that's the cousin, niece, daughter of so-and-so. So if that's been happening in your company, own it. Everybody yeah. knows that that's inside the company, and now do better. Right. Yeah, and I think those, those tough conversations or those things, I mean, we just don't want to look in the mirror sometimes, right? And that's maybe that's just the first step is, I think, as you phrased, to figure out what your, what your lie is. What is that thing that you're doing? That's been egregious, and how can you change that? And that that in itself may be enough for you to start to make real changes in your organization. It may get you to take that first step uh, and and move it in a new direction, and then and then probably then have the, I guess, the, enough confidence and enough bravery to start having conversations internally. And you know, I think we all maybe worry it's going to turn into some Facebook argument where there no one's happy, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, and that's where we don't want it to go. Uh, we want to get to some different level of understanding. And definitely, I think people, companies should really think about having someone help them do that, having someone that's good at facilitation or has a good ex experience with that. That may be the best place for them to go so they don't feel like they have to take all of that on if they're not confident with it. 
Um, right. You know, they need context having... for their conversations, Chris. And this mm-hmm. is where I've been kind of called in a lot recently, um, given my background and in the space, for instance, having a contextual knowledge of institutionalized racism. I'm talking about when I say context, I'm saying let's talk about the actual laws that have been embedded in our system. I can speak to the truth in our history to it and say this is where, how do we get here type of thing. And so what I found is that many leaders don't have context for conversation. It's all emotion. And so when they're challenged or other people feel challenged, they don't know what to say. And so it boils down to that childhood playground throwing mud at each other instead of really looking at the facts. Well, in 1649, this happened. In 1876, this happened. You know, here's the date. Here's the piece. Here's the law that goes with it. Here's what we're dealing with. Not dealing with just a feeling that we're dealing with some actually factual documentation, and that's why our data becomes so important. And so having context for the conversation I can't promise that it's not going to go to Facebook and go out into social media. But again, what are you willing to sacrifice to really live your truth? If you're saying that's truly the type of truth and you really want to have a diverse and inclusive environment, what are you willing to risk? Right. And and, and we all need to be willing to risk, I think, a little bit more uh, if we want to see change, if we want to see our communities and our companies and our and our world be better we're all going to have to 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 risk something uh and not just not just stay back and i guess you know shake our heads at it we need need to do something uh for that to change yeah i told people i'm not asking you to change i'm asking you to transform because change is a different way of doing things and transformation is a different way of being and that takes time and that's what we really need to look at if there's time for this. It's not going to happen overnight. It wasn't built overnight. And the change is, oh, now we actually have hired five new um, people of color. We gave one person a board position. And so, yeah, we now have them as part of our staff. We've seen change, but transformation is giving them a voice Mm -hmm. (laughs) and empowering them to lead, which often doesn't happen. Right. Well, that's and I think people don't realize that diversity is uh, is sort of, I guess, the people that you have. Right. What does that look like? But the inclusion Mm -hmm. part (laughs) is another thing. Right. (laughs) That's the part that I'm that's the part I'm most interested in is really the inclusive and the divergent voices and even the cognitive dissonance that arises, because that's what really leads to innovation. That is really what's going to prepare and future-proof your organization to make it more agile is to have a divergence of thinkers. And that also comes with people having different experiences and not being afraid of that. And, And sometimes we just have to own it that we all are more comfortable with what's familiar and what's not familiar to us. Um, puts us in an awkward space, and we just have to get more um, comfortable in that space of being uncomfortable. I agree. Well, one of the ways that people uh, can can learn something new or maybe get a little more uncomfortable or gain another perspective is to pick up a book or, like I do, turn on a book and listen to it. (laughs) Um, But uh, is there a book that you think people should check out these days? Wow, many. Um, (laughs) There's well, maybe so pick, pick one here for us. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't right now because people are going to like white fragility and they're wanting to like some of these particular books. But I would actually tell them 
to go to a source that's been there for a long time, go to PBS. <laughs> PBS has some wonderful studies and information that really talks to um, learning more to provide context from a business perspective, from a leadership perspective. But one of my favorite books, um, if I had to choose a book, is Leadership by John C. Maxwell. And it really speaks to the 11 essential changes every leader must embrace. And this is going to provide holistic shifts in your leadership. And it will prepare you for such a time as this and for such a time to come. Well, I hope people will uh, do that and check that out. There's a lot of uh, good, good information. There's certainly a lot of good books that people have been reading. Uh, getting, I've had so many suggestions lately, both from the pandemic and from everything else that's going on. And this hopefully a shift in our our, our thinking and our as a society. But uh, Dina, thank you so much for joining me today and being back on the show. Um, how can people find out more about you if they're interested in you and, and the work that you do? Yes, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Dina Speaks, D-R-D-E-E-N-A-S-P-E-A-K-S. And you can go to www.RenaissanceLeadershipSolutions.com. And I would love to have some of these authentic conversations and even have you join me for the next Racial Literacy for Leaders Roundtable on July 7th. Well, fantastic. Dean, I'm sure we'll have you back again. We always like having you on the show and having these great conversations. So thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day and keep doing these amazing shows. All right. Thank you, Dina. All right. We're uh, going to be, I think, off next week, uh, sort of a maybe a, a hangover from the from the fourth. Um, but we'll be back on the 14th and we'll be bringing in Tony Giffen, the CEO of San Diego Goodwill and probably another guest along as well. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.